Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, everybody. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, good to be with you. Uh, Super excited to spend a little time with you as we unpack kind of the question for today. The, the question is gonna be, very simply, how do we move out of the chains of our guilt and into the freedom of grace? Tiny little question, it's gonna be easy. So we're just gonna unpack, what does this look like? And for those of you that have been with us, if you haven't, we've been studying through the book of Romans and literally, uh, as we've studied the first couple chapters, we've come to this um, pretty amazing conclusion that we're all a bunch of sinners. Anybody else like, That's where we are. If you came to church and you thought you were the only sinner, come to find out, it's all of us. And so we've just been talking about how how we're all in the sin circle, we've all sinned. Romans 3.23 puts it like this. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And very simply, not only is this very true, but it's a really good definition of sin. Sin is simply falling short of the glory of God, that God had this design, this purpose, this reason in humanity to create us, and he put his image in us, and he had plans for us. But Paul has been saying to us that somewhere along the way, we made a decision. We decided to take a different path than his plans and his purpose and his designs. And because we made that decision, that decision brought a consequence. And that consequence, the consequence of stepping outside of his purpose and plans and desire biblically is called the word guilt. So uh, we all have guilt. Some of us even have a guilt story. So I was 15 years old. And some good college friends of mine were around the corner from my house. And come to find out that night they had been becoming uh, pretty heavily intoxicated and pretty belligerent. And so one of the guys that I also knew that's a good friend came over and, and you know, kind of knocked on my door and said, hey dude, is there any way you could come help? And I'm like, I don't know what I can do, but I literally hopped on my bike and I rode over. So as I rode over, I walked into this kind of rager and as I walked in, I, I saw, you know, some of my friends and I just thought, uh, yeah, they're like out of control. They're, they're just, and I, really quickly, I made, I made two observations. I'm not super smart. Number one observation is they can't stay here. This is getting bad. Second observation is ain't nobody here gonna drive them home. Like it was, it was, it was rough. And so in that middle of that, I made a decision. So I calmed him down. I was like, hey man, you gotta, you gotta calm down, man. And let me, and I just made a decision. Let me just get you home. Can I just get you home? So I said, hey, um, I, need, I need somebody's car to drive. And, and somebody, you know, they had been hiding one of their keys. And so I grabbed the keys and, and I grabbed them, all four of them. Uh, and we packed into the single cab of a pickup truck. And at 1 a.m., we just set, at, set out for them to get them home. It just seemed like a great decision except for the fact that at the exact same time, the police nearby were alerted of a local break-in and they were on the lookout for a single cab (laughs) pickup truck. Mm. And let me just tell you, when you're 15 years old and it's 1 a.m. in the morning and you have four intoxicated passengers packed into a three-seat belt vehicle, in a truck that you're not even sure whose it is. 
the last thing you wanna do is see red lights behind you. And then it kind of dawned on me. I told you I wasn't very smart. This might've been a bad idea. So what I thought and how I felt about it, like 20 minutes earlier, I was like, this is brilliant. And then all I come to find out, I'm like, well, maybe not so brilliant, but what I thought or how I felt about it had no effect on the two squad cars that showed up. And the reality was I was just guilty. Like there was no getting out of it. I was guilty. There was gonna be a cost. There was gonna be a consequence for me driving that night. So the first person I told was my mom. Can I get a witness? <laughs> you know. And the reason I told my mom was because she would have compassion because I was gonna have to go tell who? My dad. And so I just remember like it was yesterday walking out to that garage, walking in like, I don't know how your dad was, but he like lived there. As I walked in, he was at the workbench and I had to break to him that his son had made a pretty bad decision, that there was a court case that was coming. And my dad, I don't know if you ever felt this, but I'm like, I kind of wish he would have yelled. You know what I'm saying? But it was worse. Like he turned around and I could see the hurt in his eyes. And he looked at me and he just, he literally, this is all he said. He said, son, you're a Reagan. That is not who you are. And he turned right back around. And family, immediately my guilt went to me feeling, I mean, I don't think I've ever felt so guilty in my life. So, man, I told no one. The court date came. As a matter of fact, I told those four people, I was like, if you say a word, I will end you. And I'm just telling you, it probably would have worked except for the fact that I stepped into the courtroom and just to my left, I quickly recognized five of my friends that I'm pretty, pretty close with sitting in the jury section of the courthouse because they were there on a government class field trip. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. And I'm like, man, I just wanted to crawl under a table. I'm like, you know, they're shocked. I'm shocked. I feel like literally I moved from guilty to, I just felt so ashamed. I was never going to live that down. And I just wanna say it like this. We all have guilt. Now, some of you, your story might be, not be a funny one you can share. Some of you, your guilt story is one you'd never wanna share. Some of, them, some of you, it's very light. Some of you, it's deep. But I just wanna say this. We all have a guilt story. And when we talk about guilt, I think for us this morning, I think it's gonna be important for us to kind of distinguish between what, what do we mean when we're saying guilt? Because guilt has a couple things, right? There's guilt, the emotion. Like I just feel guilty. And then there's guilt, the consequence. I made a decision and there's just a reality of my guilt. When I was 15 years old, I made a decision. Now, were there a host of emotions that were going on prior and afterwards? 100%, but the reality was I was simply guilty. I drove four intoxicated friends way past my curfew without, I didn't even have a permit, y'all. And I'm in a truck that has three seats, like literally throw the book at me, I am guilty. Now, did that make me feel guilty? It actually did, but I could have justified. I could, have, I could have moved past that emotion and say, well, it, it really wasn't my fault. But funny enough, the state of Indiana did not consult my emotions about it. <laughs> I made a decision, it had consequences and it was gonna cost me. Did it hurt my relationship with my father? Yes. 
Did now every room that I walked in with him, did I wanna just get out of the room because I just felt so guilty all the time. Like I couldn't be around, I couldn't be in his presence and not feel guilty. Yes. Did it change the way I interacted with my friends after they all found out and now there's this buzz going around school and here I am trying to break free and be kind of trying to like follow God and be this different person. And, and now there, you know, who knows what, who's saying about who. And I just felt this overwhelming shame. But I just wanna say this, feeling guilty and being guilty Y'all, they're not the same thing. Like, you know this. You know that some of you in the room, you feel guilty and you shouldn't feel guilty. Like you did nothing wrong. There's, literally, you feel the guilt, but there's no reason for you to feel guilty. And then for probably our cultural context right now and the cultural moment we're having, we have a whole bunch of people that feel guilty about nothing. And come to find out, we kind of all know that they're guilty. Guilt is one of those things that even as I talk about this today, you might have some triggers in your mind because you, you might have somebody in your mind, somebody who weaponized guilt, somebody that made you feel guilty. And maybe it was a preacher, I don't know. Maybe it was a coach because they just wanted to get something out of you. And so they always put failure on you just trying to change you. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They just wanted to manipulate you. They knew if they could make you feel guilty, you wouldn't walk away. But somehow, some way, people use this to try to change this. But here's the reality. The emotion of guilt has very little shot at transforming your heart. As a matter of fact, it might work for a moment, but it won't change you, family. As a matter of fact, studies would show that. So here's what's interesting. So Paul, in the middle of a book that we know he wants to transform us, we know where he's taking us, and we know that for three and a quarter chapters, he's been talking about our sin and that we're in it. And all of a sudden, most of us are like, okay, I'm done talking about sin. Can I just move on? What's interesting is Paul, what he's about to do today in the text is he wants us, he, he wants us to just stop. He wants to slow our pace and he wants to set a table. And on that table, he wants us to not run past our sin to grace. Oh, he'll get us there. But he wants us to just stop and take it in for a second. Here's how he does it. Starting verse nine on, what he's gonna do is he's gonna do this kind of weird thing. If you, if you note this in your Bible, there's like lots of tiny little references. What he's gonna do is he's gonna stack eight different verses, just like this. And he's gonna stack these, these statements from eight different places, one after another, after another, after another. And we'll explain why. Verse nine, he just says, says it simply like this. He says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And this under the power is literally, it's actually one word and that word is buried. So uh, all of us, I'll just put it like that for today. All of us are like, are buried by sin. And it's got layers, right? It's your sin, it's people's sin, there's consequences later in there. And he's like, look, there's this weight and this bearing of sin and we're somewhere under here and we feel our powerlessness because it covers us. And he goes on in verse 10 and he just says this, he says, as it is written, and here comes the stacking, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless or they've lost their value. There's no one who does good, no, not even one. 
Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are so quick to just shed blood, ruin and misery, mark their ways. And the way of peace, they don't know it. There's no fear, or I would say there's no awestruck wonder of God before their eyes. And even as you read that, you're like, Paul, you're laying it on a little thick, my guy. Is it really that bad? I mean, you don't think I'm that bad, right? But before you dismiss the list, let me tell you a little bit about what he's trying to do. So what he's doing is in these eight different passages that he's pulling out, he is trying to take you, and some of them are out of Psalms, and some of them are out of Ecclesiastes, and some are out of Isaiah, but he's taking anybody who has read the Old Testament at the time, which would have been most of them. He's saying, hey, listen, I wanna take you on a journey. I wanna get you to grace, but before we get there, I wanna take you on a journey, and I wanna take you to eight different people's dark night of the soul. We're all eight of those people. I'm gonna pull this passage out of the context of their whole life. And these are people that the reason that they're so desperate is that they have suffered the consequence of other people's sin. Their brokenness and rejection came because someone else broke them. Because of someone else's sin, they were betrayed and abandoned. Because of someone else's sin, they had just had loss and lonely. Because somebody else's sin, they felt neglect and trauma. And these, these were everyday people like me and you, but family. Sin broke them. It didn't break them just from enemies. That's a part of the story, but it wasn't just enemies. It was neighbors. It was formerly, former friends. It was family members and just the generational sin, the stuff that just kept coming. It was people that should have known better, people who should have done better, people should have, that should have had that spark of the divine in them to say, you don't treat people like that. You don't lie to people like that. You don't do that to anybody. That's not okay. But I'm just telling you, that's not the decision that they made. And the consequences to these people, man, felt like a thousand pound stone in their chest. So at this point, I just feel like Paul saying, hey, look, man, we'll get to grace. I'll get there. But let's be real. It's one thing to say, yeah, 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 I'm a part of the sin circle. I mean, I guess I'm a little judgy. I guess I got a few things going on. I guess, I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm in the sin circle. There's a difference between saying, yeah, I, I would say maybe I've got some sin going on in my life. There's a big difference between that and really understanding the cost. And Paul just kind of leans in and says, so time out. What's it cost you? See, what's interesting is we justify our sin all the time, right? Why? Because we don't feel guilty about it. I mean, in the reality, we, we justify it because we're like, well, I mean, let's be honest. They deserved it. I mean, let's just be honest. Well, I've got a short temper sometimes. Stop pushing my buttons. Well, you know what? I'm just, I'm just a little 
I'm just a little, you know, passive at home, or maybe, you know, I'm a little wired sometimes, and you know, I make some bad decisions sometimes, but you know, they need to lighten up, and you know what? It's my addiction. It's not like it's affecting you at all. I'm just looking out for myself right now, but I just want to say this. How many of you would describe sin like that when it was a friend that betrayed you? When it was a parent that consistently demeaned and abused you? How about that spouse that up and walked out on you? How about that business partner that lied to you, hid things from you? Is it only bad if people feel bad about it? That's crazy, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. I think Paul, what Paul is saying is he says, hey, 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 let's slow down the bus, man. Every drop of sin is a cancer and it destroys everything it touches. There's this ministry down the road, uh, CSF, uh, College Student Fellowship, I think. And they, a bunch of college age students, they, they ministered to hundreds of them. And I love going there. There's such a great dynamic ministry. And in the fall, they asked me to come preach. And I'm like, I get so excited. I love college age students. I'm like, let's go. So I'm ready. I'm like locked in. I'm like, okay, like, yes, I got the date. And they're like, we'll call you with the topic. They call me a little bit later. And they're like, they're, I'm like, so what do you guys want? And I'm like, I'm, I like, you know, have, you know, a bunch of sermons. I'm gonna, I wanna bring something good. And they're like, yeah, we're super excited. Would you come and talk about generational sin? <laughs> And I was like, that is not what I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> you wanna know why? Because there's a bunch of college students, I don't know if you've picked up on this, that really want to long to be transformed right now, but they feel the guilt and the chains that are being passed to them by their coaches, by their parents, by the people around, they, they, they feel it. They recognize like you and I do that when we stop, just for a moment, we don't stop well. That there is an impact of other people's sin on our lives and now somehow their guilt has become your guilt and their patterns of anger and, and lust and pride and infidelity and greed have not only impacted you and it has and it hurts you, but somehow, even though it hurts you, you're, you're circling right back around and you're picking up those same patterns and now you are walking in the same guilt that they are and you just, family, every drop of sin is a cancer. And Paul just says, hey, like, like stop just for a moment. I, I, want, I need you out of like self-defense mode. I need you out of, well, what are people gonna think about me because I'm a sinner? Like I need all of that and I just want to be honest. What has your sin, what is your sin costing you, man? A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went to a prayer conference in New York and we went with an elder friend of, uh, and his wife. We just loved them and, and went with them. And we were looking forward to getting away, man. We were just gonna unplug, wanted to recalibrate, reset. And in my heart, I, I do, man. I, I, I want this to be a praying church. It's, it is part of my heart. And I wanna be a praying man. And so I'm going and I'm like, it was great. So conference was great, powerful, amazing, everything you could expect. But to be honest, as soon as I walked in the door, I felt this weight. And the way it was, I just felt like the Lord was saying to me, um, Matt, I wanna, I wanna really change your family. I'm not done with your family. And I was like, 
Okay, and then he was like, hey, Matt, I wanna change your heart. I'm not done with your heart. So I was like, okay, Lord, I, you know, that's what I want. I want. I want transformation for my family. I want it for me. And so I just said, so Lord, do it. So the second day of the conference, we walk into the, like this kind of extended prayer time. It's a crazy thing about a prayer conference, they actually pray. But anyways, as we were sitting there and we're just praying, I got like, I'm, 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 because of the family thing, I'm praying for my kids and I got five, so it takes me some time. And I get to the, the oldest two, and my oldest two, where they were partnering uh, together in ministry for the very first time in Phoenix, uh, this thing, this uh, catalyst thing that my son leads. And they're just on my mind and heart. And so I'm just praying and I'm sitting there thinking of them specifically. And all of a sudden, it's just like prayer time, there's music and this guy gets up on stage and he says, hey everybody, it's a couple thousand people in the room. He's like, hey everybody, um, I feel like we just need to stop and pray for Matt's son. And I was like, that's weird. I look at Sarah, I'm like, I don't know the guy. And um, we took that as a little bit of a sign. So we kind of leaned in together and we started praying over our family and we started praying over our hearts and for God to just transform us. And, and I don't know what box to put this in, but I'm just telling you, as we prayed there, it, it really felt like God was trying to say something to us, say something to me. And so here's what I feel like he said. He just said, Matt, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been giving you a window. And in that window, I wanna take every ounce of faith and transformation that you and Sarah step into and I wanna multiply that tenfold in your kids. And I was like, yes. <laughs> he said, but Matt, in this window, there's something else that needs to be done in this window. I also want you to bring to me whatever needs to be cut off, whatever needs to be broken, whatever patterns that remain in you that you know don't belong. And if you'll bring them, and if you'll let me, I'll break that off tenfold in the hearts and lives of your kids. He's putting, see what he's doing? He knows I have a heart that I wanna be transformed, but he also knows something's in the way. And so I got out my journal and I just started going, okay, Lord, then what do you wanna do, man? And I, you know, I'll do whatever it is, man, I'll do it. You have my yes before I say it, even if it's hard. And I started writing down, well, what are you doing? Well, well you know, I, I, I wrote down the line, I feel like I'm becoming hyper aware of my sin. I don't know if that's the Romans thing. Do y'all feel the same way? I'm like, I, I don't know what it is, but literally I will speak, like a word will no like quicker get out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh, that's pride. Please come back to me. I, didn't, I don't mean it. Or the actions to my kids or my kind of just like sitting in my house, just being disengaged. And it's like in the moment that it's happening, I just feel like literally for whatever reason, I just feel like God is convicting me of my sin. The second thing I just wrote, you know, um, I don't know why I wrote it, but I'm just, you know, I just wrote, I'm, I, I feel like you're asking me to be humble and childlike. In a time and a season where everybody right now, and we're moving into political cycle, but it's, but it's pulpits, it's everything. Everybody's like, just get a power posture and just say things more clear and authoritatively and everything's gonna change. And he was like, and no, your posture is gonna be humble and childlike. And I was like, okay. So he knows, like, I, I, wanna, I, want, I want him to do things in my family. And I, he knows I, I don't want, I do not want half-heartedness in my life. I don't want callous mediocrity. 
I don't want the small things that maybe I've learned to justify. And I don't want the big things that I don't even have the power yet to overcome. I don't want them. So I called my boys two days later. I was like, how'd it go? One didn't answer the phone. My second one did. It's like, how's it going? He's like, oh, dude, it was amazing. That's awesome, man. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Said, real quick, man, what, what's God doing in your life? I just wanna hear. And he's like, man, it's the craziest thing. He's like, number one, I just feel like, I just feel like God's making me like hyper aware of my sin. Anybody wanna guess what two was? Number two, I just feel like, I don't know, man, like, you just feel like God's kind of asking me to be more childlike. Now, family, why do I share that today? Because I love you. And I know that most of you in this room, you long for transformation. You want to change. But you inherently know that something's in the way. And if we're gonna step into the kind of transformation that I want and I think that you want, we're gonna have to stop. Paul's gonna slow us down and let's have a real conversation about our sin and about our shame. Because here's what I know, your guilt story is not the same as mine. Like some of you know my life story, it's got, it's got a lot. And some of you look at my life and you're like, ha ha, child's play. Your life is just you, what you've experienced and what you've seen like, like Brie, and some of you, it, it feels light, and so you're like, it doesn't feel that big of a deal. Here's what I know, it's all a big deal. And every single one of them, every single one of our stories, they're just all guilt stories. You know what it's like the moment when, some, when, 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 when something happened and a friend started looking at you different because of who you were. You know what it's like when you were trying to hide something, you didn't want anybody to know that you really weren't the person that they thought, and then they finally find out and how exposed you feel. You know that disappointed look when you had to break something to somebody who, who, who you love and they're gonna look at you the way my dad looked at me that day? You have had seasons where you had a parent and you were just like, I'm never gonna become that, but now you've kind of become what you said you wouldn't. And I guess, I mean, I guess right now we could just skip through this and not feel it and not sit in the weight of it. And we could just skip on to grace and everything he's gonna do. And I know he's gonna do it, but I'm just telling you, if we just calloused our heart or turned up the noise, I'm just telling you as your friend, I think it would only increase the cost and delay your transformation. We are all guilty and it's costing us more than we know. And look, man, I know this is heavy, but, but his allowing us to sit here today in the reality of this, I don't want you to think of that as it. When he told me, Matt, here's the stuff that I wanna start changing you, I didn't see it as mean, I saw it as his kindness. Why? Because I know he has no plans to leave any of us in our guilt and shame. He will not leave us here. But he goes on, verse 21, he just says this, he says, but now, apart from the law, meaning apart from your effort, apart from the practice, apart from just try hard, the righteousness of God has been made known or been made manifest. And the righteousness of God is like you, like fully righteous, being who you were made to be with power and purpose and authority, a son or daughter of God, that's who you're made to be. 
And it's not gonna come from the law, it's coming another way. And it's also right with God to have relationship with him, to have no distance, to not run when he's in the room, but to run to him when he's in the room. That's the righteousness of God. And it's been made known. And the way it's been made known is in the person of Jesus. And he just says, to which the law and the prophets testify. He says, listen, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and are all now justified freely, freely family by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ to us as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And you may may say, well, why did he have to die? Well, Hebrews 2, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, that's us. The son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who used to have the power of death. He said, listen, I'm not gonna just come and give you a hug and make you not feel guilty. I'm coming to deal with the root. I'm gonna come and break the power that guilt has had over you for far too long. First Peter 2.22 says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth, sinless. So that verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. As I stood before the judge that day, you're all wondering. I really didn't know what he was going to do. My mom told me at least 8 billion things that could have gone wrong. She's great. Was this going to go on my record? I don't know. Am I going to do community service? I don't know. Am I gonna have to pay money? Am I gonna have to spend some jail time? I don't think so, but I don't know. But that day as I stood there and told the judge what happened and he asked me some questions and then he asked my classmates if they had any questions. (laughs) Can't even make that up. He ended up just dismissing the charges, which is called mercy but it's not the same as grace. See, grace, what we're talking about today is even more powerful than that. See, grace comes along. Grace steps in after there's actually a guilty sentence. It's not like for some minor petty thing. It's it's worst case scenario, which is probably what's so overwhelming to me about him is that he I know me, and he paid my debt. 1 John 4, 9 says it like this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In that moment when Jesus came down, I think you know the story. I don't know if you've ever thought of Jesus heading to the cross and what he was taking on of our guilt so that we would be guiltless. 
But in that moment, he was betrayed so that we would know faithfulness. He was treated like a thief so that we would be treated as the sons and daughters of God. He was beaten and abused so that we could find healing. He was ripped apart so that we could be put back together again. No more shame, he's given us grace. No more distance from God in every room we walk into, but now he's so close, he literally lives inside of us. No more worrying, is it, well, is it too late? Or what if I don't stick with it? Or, you know, I don't really have the self-control. No more wondering if, if generational, the generational sin cycles are finally gonna overtake you. I'm just telling you, whatever guilt you hold in your hands today, no matter the weight, for some of you, it's been too heavy and it's been too long. When you put your trust in Christ, and when you bring it, I feel like Bree, I know a guy. When you bring it to him, he's gonna take it. And he's gonna pay for it. And you're gonna walk free. Why? Because he loves you. You know, I was, I was prepping the sermon on guilt. And I just asked the Lord, I'm talking to your kids. What's the one thing when I'm talking about their guilt and grace that you want them to know? Simplest answer on planet earth. It's how much I love them. They loves you. It cares for you. That he sees what you carry and how you carry it. And some of you in here, you've never put your trust in Christ and you're carrying it and you're doing it on your own. Some of you have come to Christ, but right now your transformation is delayed and you don't know why and you're holding all this stuff inside and the sin that you entangles and you're holding on to it. And he's just looking at you going, man, don't you know how much I love you? Don't you know how much I wanna free you? Don't you know how much freedom is available to you and how do I wanna walk with you? And to every single person in here and online, he's just saying, man, just come home. Just come close. Don't let your guilt keep you at a distance. Don't live your life stuck under the power of sin and live with the consequences for how long are we gonna do this? But like Bree, you know, who said she baptized 50 people, that's so crazy, which is actually not true anymore because on Wednesday, we had this whole entire place filled with people coming out of addiction recovery or walking through addiction recovery. Yeah, amen. Just Wednesday, 118 of them walked out of guilt, were baptized, and are walking in grace. And Bree, Bree was making it happen in the baptistry, man. And I know, man, some of you have a guilt story. You know what that, we call that around here? A testimony. So here's the deal, family. Jesus wants to move us out of the chains of guilt and into the freedom of grace. I can't do that, but I know a guy. His name is Jesus. And if you're in this room, friends, and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ and you are holding, you are left holding the bag of weight, maybe from your sins, maybe from things done against you, maybe from a guilt that you carry that you shouldn't carry, 
I just wanna invite you to by faith say to him, I'll give you a minute, to say to him, I choose you. It's called repentance. So I used to be going this way, but I, I hear you and I wanna come to you. Show me how to come to you. Really right now, you can just, and I'll give you some space here in just a second. You can just say, God, I receive your offer. Take my guilt, take my shame. Bring me back into relationship with you. I wanna know you. I wanna know what it's like to have a dad that I, when I walk in the room, I run to you, not away from you. And I promise you, if you speak to him, talk to him, repent to him, call to him today, he will meet you today. And he'll meet you with his grace. And he'll come close and he'll walk with you in a way that you long to be walked with. Just come home. There's a group of you in the room and it's a group that I absolutely love. Some of you are some of my, I, I just love you. But family, we need to re be reminded from time to time, we've already put our trust in Christ, that sin's costing us, man. I hear all this talk about revival, I hear it everywhere. But nobody's talking about repentance. Nobody's talking about being real about the sin and, and what it's costing us and what we're passing on to our kids and how it's infecting us. All of us want to run to revival, but nobody wants to run to repentance. And I, just would, I would just encourage you, brothers and sisters, that your, fact, your sin, I'm talking to believers, is costing you more than you want to admit. And even that today, you could bring to him all over again. Fresh grace, new mercy, invite his healing. Some of you in the room are, are carrying guilt that was put on you that's not from him. And I just wanna rebuke that in the name of Jesus. If you're carrying guilt from something that you could not control, I just, every time the enemy plants that in the mind, then you just, you just get a picture of how you placed that guilt in your hands and you just took it to the feet of Jesus and he took it. Because it does not belong, he took care of it. There's no reason today for anyone in here to walk out of this room with any guilt. It's not yours, it's been paid for. Leave it, leave it. Dear Heavenly Father God, I pray over my friends that I love. Release us all from the power of guilt and lead us by your grace and by your hand into the freedom, the life of grace. We love you. To Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.